Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, the podcast that is all about all of the things that therapists should know, the things that happen in our lives, the things that happen with our clients. And one of the areas that we visit often is kind of those niche areas of therapy that just don't get taught kind of up front and people end up stumbling into. And today we are talking about polyamory and ethical non-monogamous relationships. We are joined by Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference speaker, Dana McNeil. She has a group practice in the San Diego area called The Relationship Place. She's a confident couples therapist, and she's our guest on today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Dana. Thanks for having me. This is great. It's nice to see you guys again so soon. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here. As we normally do with our guests, we'd love to know who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Uh, well, I am, as Kurt said, I'm the owner of a group practice here in San Diego, California. I have eight clinicians that work with me and we focus on relationships. We use the Gottman method. And I also am the co-founder of a, a mentor group that's called the Confident Couples Therapist. And my partner and I, Nancy Ryan, help therapists who want to work with couples get the skills that they need to be able to do so. And one of the topics that we have to cover and is important to cover is ethical non-monogamy and how to work with clients that are wanting to enter into that world or already are in that world. So one of the questions that we ask at the beginning of episodes as a learning place, not as a shaming place, but as a learning place, you know, if therapists already have made some of the mistakes that are out there, then it gives us a place to not have our own space to make those mistakes. But what do therapists get wrong in this space around working with polyamorous clients? I think one of the things that the clinicians I work with do wrong first is assume that they don't have any skills that are going to apply to working with, with clients that are seeking out ethical non-monogamy relationships. Relationships are relationships. The things that you know about relationships are going to apply. There's just more people involved and there's more complicated dynamics. One of the things, though, that we don't really understand as therapists that have come from working with just a couple to working with more than one person is that sometimes we don't understand how the idea of jealousy transcends to ethical non-monogamy relationships. And so we assume that there's going to be a lot of jealousy present in those relationships and that we need to tackle it or talk about it or help them work through it. And what you're going to find is that is that those that participate in ethical non-monogamy 
don't embrace the idea of jealousy, this idea of compersion arrives, which is, I aspire to be more than someone that's jealous. I want to rise above that. And so if you're not dealing with it in a way that doesn't produce guilt and shame for your clients who experience it, that you're going to have a problem already building a relationship with your clients that come to see you. I would imagine, especially from a more monogamous point of view, that there would be this big idea that my clients, if they get into these types of relationships, are going to be super jealous. Yeah. And and will come from will come from that place of assumption and then start working on that. So this idea of compersion, did I say that properly? Compersion? Perfect. Yay. Yay. So the idea of compersion and that that they are vowing to be above jealousy. It seems like if therapists are not even understanding that that's a concept. Right. And then also not thinking that it's possible. It seems like therapists could get in the way of these clients. Yeah. If that's potentially a goal for them. It is a goal. Um, one of the, the mistakes I made to learn from when I was a rookie <laughs> is I had a client that came in and she kept talking about her frustration on Saturday nights when her partner was with his metamor, which is the name for your partner's partner, and that she would get very upset. And so she was coming to see me for depression. And I'm like, girl, you're jealous. This is not depression. <laughs> we need to talk about like, of course, he's dividing his time with you. You're by yourself on Saturday yeah. night. And it wasn't that at all. She was not aware of healthy boundaries that she needed to set around Saturday nights because he was what we call in the polyamory world in his new his new relationship energy. And so he was very excited to spend time with the metamor and he was not doing some of the things that he should be doing around the house, right? Leaving lots of chores to do, childcare routines for her, leaving her to like do all the dirty dishes and, you know, change the bedding. And so she mm-hmm. wasn't setting healthy boundaries about like, Hey, but you have to pay attention to your other relationship as well. And she was viewing it as depression. And I inadvertently was viewing it as jealousy. So there was so many things going on in this situation that if because I didn't really understand this idea of, I'm not going to talk about feeling guilt, you know, feeling jealousy, I feel guilt and shame about even expressing that when I'm in the polyamory world, because we are aspiring. That is the high holy ground is that Mm -hmm. I get excited for you when you have this experience of being in a new relationship that brings a light to your life that yes, we have a relationship and there's a stability there and we have a connection and we have a history, but this other person is adding something to your world that I can't possibly do. And so if we don't understand that idea as therapists, and by the way, I don't have to embrace that. That might not be how I live my life, but that's not my life to live. That's my client's life to live. And if I don't go there with them from a space of understanding what they're aspiring to, then I'm going to get confused and lost and shut down my client. And they're going to go somewhere else and feel bad about the therapy experience. So I'm learning all sorts of new vocab already here. Uh, Compersion, metamor. For those listeners that are hearing about polyamory for the first time, I'm sure kind of like myself here, there, there's all sorts of questions of how do people end up in these relationships in the first place? Mm-hmm. And really being able to kind of break down this, you know, traditional uh, egalitarian or traditional just kind of pair of a relationship and being able to conceptualize this in both maybe a healthy way and an unhealthy way, because I imagine that there are people who 
enter into this unexpectedly and don't kind of know what they're getting into. Yeah, for sure. One of the main questions that I ask, and it depends if I, am I seeing an individual that has been invited to participate in an open relationship or a polyamory relationship, or are you a couple that's thinking about going into it, have already been in one and kind of screwing it up because we didn't get any healthy boundaries in place or agreements in place prior to doing it, right? So I have to discern that first. And then second of all, okay, why now? right? What's going on in our life that makes us feel like it's an option for us. If you've always aspired to have more than one love in your life, and this is your value and your belief system, fantastic. If it's because my partner just had an affair and I want to even the score, not so fantastic, right? This is a recipe (laughs) for disaster then. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think part of Kurt's question is also about just kind of learning the basics of what it means to enter into a polyamory relationship. And I know I was able to hear a lot of this stuff based on your talk at the conference because there was so much juiciness in there. And obviously we can't do that whole talk right now, but what do you think is most important that the basics that therapists should know about polyamory and ethical monogamy? I think you have to learn some of the vocabulary because what I have found is that my clients get quite frustrated when they feel like they have to educate their therapist. You have to have a basic understanding of the theory the differences between an open relationship and a polyamory relationship. You have to understand the motivations and the heart and soul of why someone chooses this lifestyle or this goal for their relationship. And so that's a really good place to start. Because again, like I said, you're going to be able to apply whatever theory you use or whatever you understand about relationships, but you have to have the vocabulary down and an understanding of why clients are seeking this out as a lifestyle as a minimum. Well, I've also heard Polly being more of an identity that I am Polly. This is something where that's like, I, I'm not a monogamous person, that kind of thing. So is there, is there a certain amount of identity as well that goes into this? Absolutely. It's a lifestyle. It's an, it's something that I embrace for, you know, for some clients, it's almost like a religious or a spiritual experience, right? This is going to bring me to a new level of awareness and consciousness. And then I'm not just prescribing to the rules and that I I'm already been requested to participate in, in the world that I was living in prior to this, that I can shape my identity and what makes sense to me. I don't have to be compartmentalized. I don't have to be put in a box that I can choose to love whoever I love and love as many people as I love. So one of the roles that we look at a lot is the the therapist role in this. And it seems like there could be a lot of bias related to therapists who don't understand or don't agree. You've talked about the effects that that has on the clients. How can therapists who are working with a polyamorous client or clients, if it is relational in nature, how can the therapist identify where their bias is in these relationships? And how do you recommend that therapists work on that? Well, if somebody gives you a call and says they want to come in to work on their, you know, opening up their relationship and your first thought is, well, this is never going to work. That's probably (laughs) an idea that you have a bias, right? Because you've gotten into your head about your own relationships or what you think relationships should look like versus what the clients are presenting with. I have no idea what that looks like when they call. Every client calls and says, hey, um, we're getting into an open relationship and we want to set healthy boundaries. Well, I already know that they don't know what they're doing because it's not about healthy boundaries. It's about rules and agreements versus boundaries, right? And so 
if I'm a therapist and I'm like, well, I need to get them in here. And so I can help straighten them up so that they stop thinking that this is a good idea. I probably also have a little bit of bias. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I think about the the clients that I've had that are in either in polyamorous relationships identify as poly and the presenting problem wasn't that it was usually something else. And, and oftentimes there's a period of time, maybe a, a trusting of me. I'm not a couples therapist. I, you know, I have different specialties that, that have different kind of connotations to them. And so I think the, the piece that for me was, was helpful was recognizing that there are a lot of different ways that you can love others and that you can be in relationship and, and that kind of stuff. But oftentimes it wasn't the presenting problem. It was something that came along later. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether it was a relationship that kind of has just organically evolved or if it's someone that identifies, I think it's something where even individual therapists, I think, need to have some of these basics that you talked about. But I could imagine, were I not a little bit more informed? I don't think I was 100% informed. I still am learning the, the vocabulary. But, but my clients would not have received a response that would have been good. And so kind of in the interplay with a client, where might people, where might the bias come in as far as a poly client focusing on other issues, but, but that's a, an element of who they are, how might we be shutting them down so that they can't fully talk about their full experience with us as therapists? We might ask them a lot of questions that we think are innocent, but if we have a bias, then we're probably going to tilt the question so that it sounds like it's a negative response that we're expecting, if that makes sense. Like, so why do you think that you guys are going to be able to handle this? So it's almost like there's a tone that will come through therapists, like you need to convince me that this is a good idea so that I can get on board with it. Because until I buy in for the relationship, and you show me that you are good candidates for this, we're not going to be able to move forward in it. Do you know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. That's what I have heard from some clinicians in the past is that they're either fearful of it and it feels like a stranger from another planet. And so they're looking at it like, I've never seen an alien on my table, on my couch before. And I'm quite not quite sure how, if they breathe oxygen. So I don't know how to talk to them like people, or you need to convince me that this is a good idea because therapeutically, I've never believed this is a good decision. And so you need to, you know, let me know why it is that I should buy in. 
to help for those people who are either already working in this space, maybe don't have the training, or those who are interested in working with clients who approach with poly relationships or polyamory ideals, what approaches should they look at as far as working and pursuing more training and education to, to be able to take this approach? They can use whatever theory that they like to use. I use the Gottman method. And even though it had, you know, there hasn't been a ton of research about using the Gottman method with ethical non-monogamy clients, a lot of the issues that are happening are issues that are happening in other couples. If we're having issues of not feeling like we have influence or not being seen and heard or not being acknowledged or not being validated, any theory that you use that helps clients come together in that way, you can apply to use with clients that identify as ethical non-monogamy. Are there any special considerations you think for working with couples that are engaging in ethical non-monogamy? I think what I have found is really important to address with my clients, particularly ones that are just starting to enter into this space in their relationship is, are we going to aspire to the theory of polyamory in that we are all supposed to be equal participants in this relationship? So if you and Kurt are in a relationship and you bring in a metamor, is are you guys the primary couple or do you all have equal standing? And so in the theory, we are all supposed to have equal standing. In reality, I don't know that that always works. And that has to be a conversation in the office with my clients, because there are things like finances and mortgages and children and wills and, you know, do not resuscitate orders. If somebody goes into the hospital, there's messy parts of life that in a theory, just like when we were in grad school, the theories were great. And then I came into my office and I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, there's like a real life couple. They have like co-occurring mental health issues and their life is complicated. They're living on the street, right? So I think that that is one of the things that we get to bridge as clinicians is that we get to take the beautiful part of the theory that our clients are aspiring to and that they fell in love with. And then also bring some of those realities that we do best in a loving way is, you know, this is a person that hasn't been vetted. Are we going to introduce them to our children? What happens if this person doesn't stay in our life? How are we going to deal with this other person not being okay with us still identifying as a primary couple and they're a secondary partner, right? Those are the really nuts and bolts parts that start to create something that's the opposite of compersion that we have to deal with in the therapy office. And that's a safe place for clients to process it. And that's a really important part of the work I do with my clients. Sounds like a lot of this is taking overt or unspoken rules or even unidentified conversations and making them out in the open and being able to have the have the agreement made and just be straightforward with each other and then following those rules. So, yeah, and you bring up kind of an interesting point is that there's the difference between boundaries, rules and agreements. Right. And so a rule is typically considered something that's negative or a little bit too rigid because it's implying that if if we're a primary couple and we make a set of rules, that's typically because we're trying to ward off feeling jealous or to try to exclude someone else from being a primary partner. So we like to speak in agreements so that everybody who is involved in this relationship has a voice and gets to choose how we're going to navigate this as a polycule, which is a a family, 
And so how are we all going to have a voice? What are we all going to be able to do to participate in this? And then personal boundaries also comes into play where I get to decide, hey, I don't want to be your relationship coach if you guys get in a fight. I'm not going to be the messenger that comes in and, you know, gives you the bad news about what your partner said about you. So yes, it's also, it is, it's the logistics, but it's also the difference between boundaries, what are agreements and what are rules and how are we going to all navigate those so that we all feel like we have a voice in this relationship. The rules or boundaries, it sounds like are not typically the things that are, are the most present, but like when you mentioned the idea around, do we introduce our secondary or metamor or whatever, do we introduce this person to our child? It seems like there could be a rule or a boundary around that. That's not necessarily around jealousy. It's around kind of making sure that you're doing what's in the best interest of the child, for example. But then these agreements, I like this idea that there's this conversation, this kind of this collaboration around what is it that we're doing. And to me, it seems like there's so many options. And so I start thinking about, okay, well, I'm not a couples therapist anyway, but I do have clients that may be wanting to enter enter into these conversations on their own. And so to me, it seems like there's a lot to understand around what the options are, around how relationships or polycules or or different types of relationships get set up. And so I'm I'm wondering if there's good resources for folks that want to make sure that they have the the knowledge and if there's a point at which it's really important to refer out for someone that is much more knowledgeable or within the community. Yeah. There's a couple of great books and one that your clients will always have read. So make sure that you're familiar with it called The Ethical Slut because your clients will come in and say, I read this book and it changed my life and I want to talk about it. (laughs) Okay. You should probably know what it says in there. Right. And there's another book called More Than Two, which has really great questions that I have adopted and kind of changed into therapeutic terms that help this conversation get going. Right. Conversations like what does commitment mean to you? Those are great questions. Your clients are not thinking about that at all. They're thinking about like, it's going to be cool to have another person that when you're mad at me, loves me and thinks I'm great. I'm like, okay, let's back up. Right. Here's some basic. I need to know your value system. So those are some great resources that they can start with. Yeah. And we'll definitely put those in the show notes. I'm going to have to to put them into my, my little library. That sounds amazing. You did bring up, you know, talking with kids in a relationship. Do you have suggestions for how those conversations might end up impacting children and helping them to understand? Because I'm, I'm sure that there are plenty of kids out there who have a worldview that families are two parents and kids that introducing more people may end up being confusing and helping them through the process. So it just depends on where the couple's at. If they're both in agreement that they want their children to be part of their polycule or to know their metamors, then that's great, right? Then we just need to talk about how much is this person involved and when do we introduce them and what is how are they going to be introduced? Are they going to be Aunt Susie and Uncle Joe or are they going to have different names? But if there's conflict around it, which is typically why you come to therapy, then we need to have some exercises. In the Gottman method, we use something called dreams within conflict. 
And we, that's a tool that we use before we go to compromise. Because again, this is going to be some compromise here, hopefully. And so what I'm really trying to get at is I need to acknowledge your thoughts and your feelings and why this is so big to you. And at the end of the day, what's the catastrophe scenario that you worry about that if I did introduce this person and it didn't go well, how would this impact either us as a family or our child? And having a conversation at that heart level so that we can then make sure that when you start compromising with me, you're compromising me with like as someone who loves me and understands my catastrophe scenario and helps me address those fears, that that's actually how we can start making some progress around this topic. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. What are some of the risks, do you think, for introducing to children? Well, confusion. Right. I don't know what this adult's role is. I go to school in like the hetero, like normative, let's just do everything the same way. And I don't understand what it is that's happening here. And so if the parents are lost in their new relationship energy and they're just like, hey, I just want to have this person around all the time and they're not worrying about the attachment that the child has, it's kind of like when I get newly divorced. And I'm like bringing all my girlfriends or boyfriends around and just introducing them to my kid without thinking about how is it going to be for them to see so many people come and go in their life. I mean, it's it's a lot of the ideas that we've already been thinking about in relationships. It just has a different name on it. That makes a lot of sense. One of the areas, and I'm not a couples therapist either, so one of the advice things that I've heard from a lot of our couples therapist guests on this podcast that we haven't talked about yet here is how how the sex works in these couples and how that may end up becoming parts of jealousy and parts of the boundaries and agreements. Can you lead us down that path with your knowledge that neither of us are prepared to? <laughs> <laughs> There's this idea um, in the poly world called fluid bonding. And so sometimes if we are a primary couple, we have an agreement that we are the only partners that have sex without protection. And there, there might be an agreement that you have sex with your metamor or outside partners that you use protection with them. That's an important question, right? Do we have a question about, do we require that whoever you're interested in having sex with, that they get tested and we all know about that, right? Or how regularly are we going to get tested? How soon do we open it up? Right. I mean, those those are important questions. I, I know that there's going to be other questions, but I mean, those are going to kind of be on a case by case basis. If there's there can be something that arises that feels like jealousy around that, you're correct. But we're supposed to approach it if we are, you know, part of the poly philosophy is that do I trust my partner to make decisions that are the best for all of us? So is my partner going to do something that is going to just enhance their relationship with their metamore and exclude me and cause me pain? Or are they doing something that serves the greater good of all of us? And I'm supposed to be able to approach all of the decisions that we need to make about our relationship from that place, which is probably easier said than done. 
But if we can refer back to what did, what feels threatening about this or what feels like it's being exclusive about it and have conversations from that place, that maybe that would help facilitate some of these difficult conversations. And I think that there's potentially some bias or some stereotypical kind of thoughts around having sex all the time with all these different partners and swinging and that kind of stuff. And I've actually heard, heard that within some of these relationships, it can be, I only have sex with my primary partner and the others are more the romantic elements that don't have the physical components or not the sexual physical components. And so I think there's a lot of nuance in, in having these decisions. Am I great? You brought up a great point that I totally just assumed everyone knew. So excuse me. (laughs) Yes. Okay. A little definition time. So a swinger or people who are in the lifestyle, that means we have sex as sport, right? I typically Mm -hmm. will take my partner with me. We might go to a party. We engage in sex together, typically as a couple. If I'm in an open relationship, that's a sexual relationship. I am going outside of my primary relationship for the point of having sex with people outside of my relationship. If I'm in a poly relationship, I am in it for love. And that might mean I don't ever have sex with the other people that I have in my polycule. I might just have sex with my primary partner and I have nothing but romance and love and unicorns and flowers with the other people (laughs) that are in my world. And we're not even talking about sex with each other. So yes, Katie, that's an incredibly important point. So thank you for reminding me of that. I didn't know all of those things. So I'm glad I I asked. (laughs) At its core, it seems to be communicating needs, communicating the boundaries and the rules that you had discussed before. It's communicating ideals and goals and having healthy relationships. That that just seems like a, a, a nice little summary. But I know that, like you said, is when you first, you know, end up out of grad school, seeing your first couple or you first end up seeing a client like this of just getting over that that first bias or that looking at things, the alien that you had referenced before, that just kind of takes that needing to take the step back and entering into the client's world rather than dictating or operating from this foundational idea of where they should end up. Yeah. It's very much like what we learned in grad school, which is meet your client where they're at. Like you said, what are their needs? What are they presenting to the office, right? If they're coming in and you're getting all caught up because they said, well, we're in a poly relationship and you're like, whoa, what, who, where? (laughs) And they're coming in because they want to negotiate. How do we do chores fairly? And how do we set up, talk about finances? And you're so caught up in like the idea that they came in with this label. You know how to do those kind of conversations. You know how to help them have healthy communication. There's just more people. You do family therapy. You can handle this, right? But it's just, we hear this phrase and we like freeze in our tracks and think we have no, oh, we need some kind of special training. You already know how to do the special training. You know how to listen. You know how to give, you know, good tools and coping skills on how to manage disappointment and conflict and ask for your positive needs. It's not really that much different. We're just kind of getting caught up in the logistics of like, this is a new situation that we're not sure that we approve of versus this isn't something that we can handle. Yeah, I think the thing that that I'm hearing is it comes down to being aware of your bias 
and getting past that label. And I think I'm just thinking about kind of different ways that may play out in life. I think, you know, I, I wonder what the, the kind of the amount of polyamorous ethical non-monogamy type relationships that are occurring or people that are open to those types of relationships that have, that are either identify as poly or, or are choosing that lifestyle or would choose that lifestyle were the opportunity available. I wonder how common it is because it seems like there may be societal pressure to keep those types of relationships or that kind of choice silent. And so I'm, I'm wondering, and this is kind of a long way around to, is there prejudice? Is there, is there fear of these types of relationships becoming public knowledge? I mean, what, what are our clients facing in that regard? They are fearful and they are making sure that the clinicians that they work with have an understanding of their fears and that they're able to normalize those fears for them and that they're able to provide them a safe place to process it where they're going to be free of judgment. That is hugely important to to clients because they are worried that this is going to get out of their, their work and that they'll somehow be labeled as somebody that's a kook or somebody that, you know, has a sex addiction. And that's really what clients hear a lot is that, oh, you're, you're just, you're just have a sex, sex addiction. You're just looking to have multiple partners. You don't really understand what you're doing, right? So that there's this sense that somebody's going to talk them out of it. Somebody's going to tell them that they're wrong. Somebody's going to tell them that they should just get their act together and get like everybody else. And so there is very much a fear and a worry that the clinicians that they meet are going to be dismissive of them and minimize their feelings. And so that's something to be definitely aware of when you're working with clients that they want you to normalize that their feelings and their thoughts and their needs are okay and perfect just the way that they are. Our guest today is Dana McNeil, and she has a wealth of information on this. She had a great presentation for us at the Therapy Reimagine 2020 conference. Where can people get in touch with you and all of the wonderful offerings that you have and potentially even book you for some consultation in an area that many therapists don't seem to be trained on? Yeah, well, thanks. We have a website. It's confidentcouplestherapist.com. You can send us an email at info at confidentcouplestherapist.com. Nancy Ryan and myself partner, we have a mentoring program coming up starting in January. It's a four month program. This is one of many of the topics that we will cover. We also have some personalized mentoring and um, consultation. That's definitely something that's very popular right now. Uh, And we would love to answer any questions or hopefully get you signed up in the mentorship program. There's lots of skills beyond this and being a good couples therapist. So we're pretty excited about the program and the group that we have together. So we'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much. This has been such a, a great topic and conversation. Great. Thanks so much for having me. This was wonderful. I appreciate the time. And you can find those show notes on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy and Dana McNeil. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. 
Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 